we are having a conversation now about how we can be church when we can't meet together in a church building. Because we can't, because the coronavirus has got us at home at least for a little bit longer, and so we'll be, we'll be worshiping the way we have been for the past few weeks because we can't come together in our worship building. And that means we have to ask the question, how do we be church when we can't worship together? What we've been seeing as we've been looking at this question is that the building is a very convenient thing to do, but it's not important. It's not important in the way we do church. It is, it is a convenient thing, but buildings aren't important. Last week we saw that God actually didn't care as much for the temple as he did for the tabernacle. He liked the temp- tabernacle precisely because it wasn't tied to one particular location that God could could say, let's move, and off we went. So so it's not a particular place. Um, there are some, some stories in the Hebrew Scriptures. Moses is told to remove his sandals because where he was located was holy ground. But in general, that's not important. God um, can put a temple wherever he wants. And uh, so the temple was located in Jerusalem, and there wasn't it, its holiness didn't come from the fact that it was in a particular location. And that's true of our building. There's nothing special about this corner of Anchorage. Um, it's just where we happen to put a building. So the building's not important. What is important is what happens in a building, whether it's the temple in Jerusalem or whether it's our uh, sanctuary here. And in the case of the temple in Jerusalem, the answer would have been obvious to anybody. Anybody who'd gotten through, you know, second grade Sunday school, they would have known that the reason for the, the temple was for sacrifice. Uh, we might say today a, a worship, but uh, they would have said a specific kind of worship because you can worship God wherever you encounter God. But you could only do sacrifice in one particular location. Uh, according to the rules of the, the Hebrew uh, law, that there was only one place where you could offer sacrifices. What was important is that you would go to the temple to offer those sacrifices. Now, before I go on, I want to say that sacrifice today is not really something we think of as a, as a happy thought. Um, and at the same time, we know sometimes it's important. If you think of sacrifice as simply deferred gratification, then it makes all kinds of sense. You say, well, we are saving up some money because we want to uh, buy a bigger house because we'd like to start a family. People understand that kind of sacrifice. It's a good thing. Um, there's nothing wrong with that sacrifice, and people make that sort of decision all the time. Maybe you're saving money so you can buy a new car or something like that. We understand that sometimes we make sacrifices because we want something else um, more than we want the immediate uh, satisfaction of having a particular thing. So uh, sacrifice doesn't have to be a negative idea, and that's the idea we see in the the, uh, story of God's people. Sacrifice was not meant to be a negative thing. It was meant to be a deferred gratification. I want to have a better relationship with God more than I want a particular goat. So that was the idea. You could bring your goat and um, offer it as a sacrifice. So um, we understand that, um, but we also we also know that in the in the Hebrew scriptures um, that you could offer worship wherever you you were. Um, there's a story in the book of Nehemiah where Nehemiah learns that Jerusalem has been destroyed. That that he's he's not in Jerusalem. He is off in the capital of Persia, and he discovers from some travelers that the temple has been destroyed, and his heart breaks for them 
uh, because they don't have a place to offer sacrifices. But he's able to worship. It says that he fasts and prays before God because he knows God is located in Persia just as much as he's located in Jerusalem. What's lacking is the ability to perform those sacrifices. And so he gets permission from the king and he goes back to Jerusalem and he helps to rebuild Jerusalem so that they can offer those sacrifices there. So um, sacrifices were important in the life of the people of God from from way back. And um, so what we want to do today is we want to talk specifically about how sacrifices tie in with the worship of God's people today. In particular, how do they tie in when our church buildings are closed? Can we offer sacrifices when we can't come to a church building? Do we even offer, are sacrifices even something we do anymore? Or is that something that, that we've uh, discarded? So, so we're going to be um, looking at um, a passage in First uh, Peter. That's going to be our, our passage today. But before we do, um, I want to explain kind of some of the language we're going to be hearing um, as we talk about sacrifice. Um, in the in the Hebrew scriptures, the 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 reason you could only sacrifice in Jerusalem, and the reason people were actually concerned when when they found out somebody was sacrificing someone else, if you if you read the the scriptures, you'll see these places where people say, well, well, this guy was a bad king because the, because he didn't get rid of the high places. That people were building um, shrines up in the hills, and people would go out and they would offer sacrifices up in the shrines in the hills, and that was a bad thing. Um, and the reason for that wasn't because there was something special about the building. We 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 already talked about that, that God was perfectly happy with the tent. Um, and uh, it wasn't because uh, there was something special about Jerusalem except for the temple being there. What was special about Jerusalem wasn't the place and it wasn't the building. It was who was there because not anybody could offer a sacrifice. You could bring a sacrifice to the temple. And in fact, there were various occasions during the the course of your life where you were expected to bring a, a sacrifice, but you didn't offer the sacrifice. The sacrifice was offered on your behalf by a priest. And to become a priest, you didn't just decide, hey, that'd be a good job when I grew up. You had to be related to the right people. In particular, you had to come from the tribe of Levi. You've you've heard of the, the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, one of them was the tribe of Levi. And the people who were from that tribe were called Levites. And they had various jobs in the temple, uh, in the temple infrastructure. But one of the clans of that tribe was the Aaronic tribe. It was from uh, the descendants of one of Levi's uh, children named um, Aaron. And so um, the, the descendants of Aaron were the ones who could become priests. And so if you needed to offer some kind of a sacrifice, you didn't offer it. You went to the temple in Jerusalem. And then you gave it to one of the Aaronic priests, and he would offer the sacrifice in your behalf. So the problem with the high places, the, these shrines up in the hills, wasn't that they were not fancy buildings. The problem wasn't that they were were um, uh, uh, located in, in a different spot. It was that there wasn't an Aaronic priest there to offer the sacrifice. It was people taking the the, the decision to, to do the sacrifice on their own. That was the real problem. So the way that, that we would, we would, uh, say that in our own, in our own context, that would be like if you had to offer a sacrifice, you'd bring a sack of grain or you'd bring a, a sheep or something like that for the priest to offer on your behalf. You'd come to our church building and what they would do is they would take it from you and then they would go inside the building. You'd stand outside in the parking lot and then they would come out in a while and they'd say, the sacrifice has been offered. And you'd say, 
okay, I guess I'm in the clear with God now. And that was really kind of the way the system worked. And the reason for that was there was these different zones and different people couldn't go to different zones of the, the temple. The, the outside zone was the, was the, the court of the Gentiles and nobody but Jews could go any further than that. But then there was the court of the women. Women could go into that zone. Men could go even further. But then you got to the holy zone and that was for the, the priests and only the priests could go there. But inside the holy zone was a, was a separate zone called the most holy the most holy place. And we read about that. Last week we looked at the the, um, the description of the tabernacle in the book of Exodus. And uh, immediately after that, that chapter gets going, we read about um, one of the things that was located in the tabernacle. So in Exodus uh, 26, um, it tells us about uh, a veil. It says that uh, Moses is told by God to make a veil of blue, purple, and deep red yarns and a fine twisted linen. And uh, he then says to work figures of winged heavenly creatures into its design and hang it on four acacia wood posts covered in gold. They should have gold hooks and stand on four silver bases. Hang the veil under the clasps and put the chest containing the covenant there behind the veil. So there's the holy zone where the rest of the priestly work gets done. But then on the other side of this veil is the, the chest. And that's... Um, that's on the far side of the veil. And then it says, the veil will separate you for you, the holy, from the holiest space. Now, for a lot of people, it didn't matter because they weren't going to get inside the holy space, much less the holiest space. But um, even the priests couldn't go into the holiest space because there was this veil that separated them from, from the other side, what was on the other side. We talked about that some last week. That by the time the Roman general Pompey came, uh, there wasn't anything on the on the other side. The the Ark of the Covenant, the chest that it's talking about, was already gone by this time. So, so they were told make this veil so that even the priests didn't get to participate in the holiest part of the worship service. So that's the way that the the worship of the people of God lasted for a long time. But then um, Jesus came, and when Jesus died, we read. Um, we read that the, the, the crowd is kind of mocking him as, as he nears his death. And then it says, Jesus let out a loud cry and died. And the next sentence, Mark tells us, is this. The curtain of the sanctuary, that veil, the veil from, from way back when, the curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. And the centurion who was uh, facing Jesus saw how he died and said, this man was certainly God's son. So what's what's going on there where the curtain is torn in half? Well, the the followers of Jesus began praying and, and looking into that, asking God what was the significance of that. And by the time the, the New Testament documents started to be written, they had a pretty good understanding of what it meant. Um, in the book of Hebrews, this is what we read it. Uh, Brothers and sisters... We have confidence that we can enter the holy of holies. We can enter that most holy place uh, by means of Jesus' blood through a new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain. That, that, that curtain has been torn in half. Jesus has opened up this new way through the curtain, which is his body, and we have a great high priest over God's house. So the writer of the letter to the Hebrews says that that, that curtain no longer separates God from his people. Jesus did not just come to forgive our sins. Jesus came to reconnect us to God. So we have access to the very throne room of God. Uh, 
the writer of Hebrews says we can come boldly before God uh, whenever we want to. We don't have to uh, bring our goat to a priest who brings it to somebody else and they go inside the building and they do their thing. That we can actually come to God directly ourselves. So, so that's the significance of the curtain being torn. Jesus has opened up that path. We are reconnected to God by virtue of Jesus' death and resurrection. So that is all kind of preparatory for the reading we have from First Peter. Because what Peter says then is this. He says, now you are coming to him as a living stone. He's saying that, that you, whoever you are, if you're a believer, then think of yourself as if you were a stone, but a, but a living one. He says this, even though, um, uh, the stone was rejected by humans, from God's perspective, it is chosen and valuable. You yourselves are being built like living stones into a spiritual temple. He says that not only has the curtain between us and God been, been eliminated, but the building itself is being replaced by this new temple that is constructed out of the believers. So wherever there is a believer is a part of the temple of the living God. He says you're being made into a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He says, um, thus it is written in scripture, look, I am laying a cornerstone in Zion, chosen and valuable. The person who believes in him will never be shamed. So God honors you who believe. God has, God has uh, chosen you to make you into this temple that he will dwell in. He says, for those who refuse to believe, though, the stone that the builders tossed aside has become the capstone. This is a stone that makes people fall, stumble and a rock that causes them to fall. Because they refuse to believe in the word, they stumble. Indeed, this is the end to which they were appointed. But you, you who believe in Jesus, but you are a chosen race. And you say, well, I can't do those things because I'm not related to Aaron. Um, I'm not I'm not from the tribe of, of Levi. I don't get to, to offer sacrifices. Um, I'm, maybe I'm from a Gentile world. I'm, I'm someone from the, the, the Greek world or the Roman world. I don't have any relationship. I'm not even, I'm not even a, a Judean. How can I offer sacrifices? He says, you are in fact a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood that King Jesus, Christ Jesus has appointed you as priests for this new temple that is made up of the, the living stones who are believers. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that even though you may come from 17 different cultures and ethnicities, that you become a new nation as the people of God. He says, you are a people who are God's own possession. And you have become this people, why? So that you may speak of the wonderful acts of the one who called you out of darkness into his amazing light. Once you weren't a people, but now you are God's people. Once you hadn't received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So how do we act as this priesthood? How, how do we um, live our lives as a temple? I mean, it's great to know that we don't need a building to worship in because we are ourselves the building. But how do we do that? How do we offer a sacrifice that is acceptable to God? What is he getting at? Well, we read in other places in the New Testament exactly what that means. So um, we look to Christ as our example. Um, in the letter to the Ephesians, Paul writes this. He says, therefore, in order to carry out your role as this, this priestly group of people, he says, therefore, imitate God like dearly beloved children. 
Live your life with love, following the example of Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us. He was a sacrificial offering that smelled sweet to God. So he's saying that we should imitate Jesus. Jesus sacrificed himself. How did he do that? Um, we know that he sacrificed himself by coming to be one of us, to live among us, to, to spend 30 years of his life, or 30 years in his life on earth, um, as one of us, that that was a sacrifice if you're coming from heaven. So, um, he says, live that way. Live as a, as a, as a act of love toward the people around you. So he says, he says, follow the example of Christ and that that is a sacrificial offering to say, I could do something that's more selfish, but I'm going to live on behalf of the people around me. So he says, he says, imitate Christ, love others, even at the cost to yourself. So that's the first thing we do. That's the first way we can offer those spiritual sacrifices. Paul says in the letter to the Romans, he says, So brothers and sisters, because of God's mercies, I encourage you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to God. This is your appropriate priestly service. So he says, this is a different kind of sacrifice. He says, God doesn't need any more dead animals. God doesn't want any more dead animals. But he says he wants living sacrifices. He wants us to, to bring our lives before God and say, I am making an offering to you of my whole life. He says, this is a spiritual sacrifice that, that we're saying, sure, I could have some, some fun with my life. I could, I could maybe, uh, indulge some of my carnal appetites or I could just indulge my, myself in, in, in 17 different ways. But instead, I'm choosing to see my life as a sacrificial offering and that I'll trust you for the gratification, whether it's in this life or in a later life. Paul says that that is a kind of living sacrifice of our lives. And then in the letter to the Hebrews, he says this, um, the writer says this, so let's continually offering up a sacrifice of praise. And that just makes sense. Part of what, part of the sacrifice we offer as these, these priests of this new temple, um, is a sacrifice of praise. We just praise God for the good things in our life. You know, we praise God that we have a building that we will eventually be able to return to. I'm looking forward to that myself. But, but we praise God for the, the good things in our lives. And, and that is a fruit from our lips that confess His name. And then He says this. He says, don't forget to do good and to share what you have because God is pleased with these kinds of sacrifices. So these are, these are examples of ways that we can live sacrificially. And, uh, we know that this is, this is reasonable, reasonable worship because we're, we're saying, I'm going to do exactly what Jesus said, which is to love the people around me and to love God, um, more than I love myself. So when I give up things that would, that would give me pleasure or give me satisfaction in order to help others, that's a sacrifice. And Jesus says, or the, the, the New Testament tells us in, in many places that that is a sacrifice that we can offer, um, now that we have the ability to actually offer sacrifices ourselves, so that's that's what we do with sacrifices, and you can do them at home. You can do them when we come back to our building. These are the kind of sacrifices we can do because uh, our temple is uh, extends to wherever there are believers. That if you are on a desert island by yourself, um, that the temple of God extends to where you are because God is making us all into that temple. So you don't need a particular place to do it. But then the kinds of sacrifices we've heard are where we, where we give sacrificially of ourselves to benefit others. That, that that is now considered as valuable a sacrifice as anything that was offered back in the time of the temple. 
So we do that. Now, how does that look like right now? Well, I think if you're, if you're stuck at home with some other people, there are probably countless ways that you can say, you know what, I, I would really like to do something here for myself, but what, what this other person needs right now is for me to, to give of myself sacrificially. So I'm going to love them in a way that maybe, uh, costs me, uh, so, some effort or, um, some, some time that I'd rather not. Um, except, except I really would rather do it. It's something I would like to do. And so I'm reminding myself, this is a way I can live sacrificially. Maybe you can give of your time. Um, I, I had the opportunity, uh, last week to go to Costco. And the first thing I did is I spent 30 minutes of my time waiting to get into the building. And so, um, uh, I gave of my time and I thought to myself, okay, this is actually a sacrifice I can make to help my family get some of the things we, we needed to obtain. Um, so I stood in line. And um, we can do the same thing with our money. Um, we, we had the opportunity to, to dine out. Margo and I celebrated our anniversary. And instead of going to a fancy restaurant, we went to a fancy restaurant and took takeout because that's what we're doing these days. But it was, it was a sacrifice in the sense that we didn't have the ambiance. We didn't have all the things that we might like. But we were able to help people who are employed in that restaurant. And so it was it was something where rather than just say, well, we'll save the money and we'll do it in June or something like that. We said, no, let's do this now. And you can do the same kinds of things. You can eat out. You can spend your time waiting in line, uh, staying socially distant from people. Uh, when you act in a loving way, when you defer your own gratification for the, for the benefit of somebody else, think of that as the kind of sacrifice that God enjoys. Because, because... We don't have to go to Jerusalem. We don't have to go to the the one temple in the whole world where sacrifices are permitted. We can, in fact, um, worship on a high place. If you're if you're going for a hike now that the weather is getting better and you're you're up in the mountains, you can be in a high place and you can offer a sacrifice of praise or or help somebody else out um, up there in the high place because the temple of God extends to wherever the living stones that are His. That are, that are Jesus' disciples. Wherever they are, the temple of God extends to that place. So we can do that. And we have access to God's throne room. We don't come to a temple where there's a zone and we give, we give some particular person our request and say, please do a good job when you go in that building, but I won't know what you're doing. We actually can go right up into the holiest place and offer our own sacrifices of praise or of, of the, the help we do for other people. The things that we can do as sacrifice, those are things we can do as believers because Jesus has opened up that space for us into the holy place of God. So is it great to have a building? It is absolutely great to, to have a building. I, I, I really enjoy having a building. Now that we don't really have the opportunity to gather here, I appreciate it all the more. But we don't need the building. For as long as this lockdown occurs and, and when it's just inconvenient because you're traveling or something else, you can be the temple of God, wherever you are, and you have the authority and the right to bring your sacrifices to God right into the most holy place. Let's give thanks for that. God, we give you thanks that we have the the uh, unique opportunity to be that royal priesthood, to be uh, the chosen race. We don't have to be related to Levi, that you have chosen us. Where, whatever our lineage, whatever our genetic uh, background, um, we are part of your chosen race that we can, um, we can present our offerings to you uh, for ourselves and the offerings that we bring to you on behalf of others. 
Lord, we ask you to bless all of our sacrifices and help us to appreciate all the more this great privilege. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.